Welcome to What Are You Reading, a podcast dedicated to leadership development through a commitment to reading. This is your host, Jacqueline Parker. This week, we are excited to talk with General Becca Halstead. Becky Halstead is a retired Brigadier General, founded her own leadership consultancy company called Steadfast Leadership, following 27 years of service in the U.S. Army. She was part of the second class of graduating women at West Point and was the first female graduate to become a Brigadier General. She served in command and in combat as the first female commanding general at the strategic level of leadership in Iraq, a first for our Army and our nation. And she is the author of 24-7, The First Person You Must Lead Is You. Welcome, General Halstead. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad we finally connected, Jacqueline. Yes, it's awesome. So our first question is for our audience is, what are you reading? Well, <laughs> I have to tell you that when I'm reading, I'm always reading a little bit of s- several books, right? Um, ever since the iPad, um, I actually do a lot more reading because I can, ha- I, can, I can, I travel all the time and I can have several right on my iPad. So, um, but I'm really enjoying um, a new book, Drew Dudley. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a keynote speaker on leadership and he has a book called day one Mm -hmm. so i I see a lot of um connection with him and and, on what he thinks about leadership and so i enjoy that and then a couple years ago i was given a book i was working with deloitte and i was given a book by nicholas epley on uh mind wise so it's all about this mindfulness which i think is becoming even more important right now with so many people you know being at home and everything and and then i'm reading max lucado Uh, anxious for nothing. Um, My favorite Bible verse in the whole world for daily living happens to be Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. And he just put this book out and it's it's kind of a calming influence. And um, I have not started, but I did download Nikki Haley's uh, With All Due Respect. Um, I have a lot of, I have a lot of respect for her. So I'm very curious as to what she's written in that. So they're kind of the ones I'm going to right now in between podcasts and keynotes and regular life and okay was there any book that defined your military career any book that defined my military career um you know i don't have one particular book that did that uh I, i was i'm a big john maxwell fan and covey fan uh, both of those authors, when I read, when I finally read their books, I, I could identify with their principles and went, Oh, that's the way I lead, or that's the way I think, or, you know, and so I, it was great validation. And so then I would, I read everything that they, that they published. Um, so they, I would say they had the biggest impact next to the actual Bible. They probably had the biggest impact on my, on my military career because I could relate to their to their principles of leadership so well. Has there ever been a time where you felt like it made you a better thinker and a better person overall? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Because like, you know, you and I both went to West Point and and when I went to West Point, you know, I came right out of high school and I would say coming out of high school and from a small town, I was really very black and white, you know, like, you know, I grew up in, in going to church and, you know, I just grew up with a, a set of values and I, I didn't question anything, you know, two plus two was four, you know, there, there is a God, you know, I just didn't question anything. And I remember at West Point taking philosophy as a mandatory 
class and having the teacher say, is there anybody like who doesn't believe in God? I'm like, are there people who don't believe in God? Right. So I was a very black and white person. And so I think what reading has done for me as a person is that it's opened my aperture to understanding people because as a leader, we're going to lead all kinds of people with all kinds of faith based with all kinds of backgrounds and experience and opinions. So the reading for me, I think it's helped me be a better leader to open my mind to the fact that not everybody's going to think like me, wasn't raised like me, um, doesn't have the same opinions and, and they're still going to be on my team, which requires me to still lead them, still love them, still develop them. Right. So, um, so I, that's where reading, I think really helped me transition from being a very black and white person to realizing there are lots of options. There are lots of possibilities out there and I can learn from other people's experiences. And that helps me to think differently, which helps me to lead differently. So I, I kind of tie it all together that way. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So just being able to think differently is how you lead differently. I think that's a great point for our readers. And I think the other thing it does is this. Earlier I said, you know, like what I loved about reading Covey's books and Maxwell's is it gave me validation. So I think when I'm reading, it's either strengthening my position or it's helping me to understand why I should change my position. And so, um, and, and I think this the latter point is, is, is good because if we, if we really think that we're unchangeable and we stop learning and we stop growing, well, I, I, I think we just, uh, you know, we've shortened our lifespan. Yeah, that's a great point. Shifting from what are you reading to what have you actually authored? So talking about your book 24 seven, um, was there a specific reason why you decided to write a book? Is there a backstory behind it? Well, so the first time I ever knew I would write a book, I was actually attending virtually a John Maxwell conference. And, and at that point, I was a Colonel Promotable um, serving in Southern Command in Miami. And so I just got to go to one of his conferences online, you know, like this, right, with the virtual piece. And at that point, I'd already read most of his books. And I can just remember sitting there going, I so want to write a book on leadership for all the same reasons of which I loved reading his book. So I, I kind of knew back in 2002 that someday I think I'd like to write a book on leadership. Fast forward, I don't retire till I'm 2008. Um, and then I started uh, going out on the on speaking on leadership. And what happened was people would walk up to me after I would speak and they'd say, please tell me you've written a book on leadership. And I'd be the well, I haven't, um, but I'm kind of writing one. I have it outlined. And what I realized is people wanted a little bit more, like they wanted more depth to the stories. They wanted more stories. And so then I recognized that I need to write a book just to be able to give, give more to the people that are interested. And so that was really my motivation for getting it done. Hmm. And is there a, uh, an anecdote or a personal story and principle that you would like to share from the book? Well, my favorite story in the book and most people's favorite story in the book when I'm out speaking is the cheeseburger story with Sergeant Marshall. So in, in uh, leadership principle uh, 19, it talks about, you know, the importance of precise communication, right? That, that as leaders, we need to get out and circulate and communicate 
so that we can connect with the people that we lead. So I was a, a colonel down at Fort Polk, Louisiana, doing the JRTC rotation, since this audience, this audience would know that better than most of my audiences. So you're out in the field for, you know, a couple of weeks and, you know, eating the good army food, right? You know, T-Rats, MREs, you know. And so as we get ready to uh, go catch our plane to fly back to Fort Drum from Fort Polk, Sergeant Marshall, my driver says, ma'am, I'm going to go to Burger King and pick up lunch. Would you like me to get you some lunch? I'm like, oh, that would be great because I love cheeseburgers. So I said, just get me two plain cheeseburgers, Sergeant Marshall. So he gave me this kind of odd look. He says, ma'am, are you, are you sure you only want plain cheeseburgers? And I said, yes, Sergeant Marshall, two plain cheeseburgers. And so he questioned me again. I said, Sergeant Marshall, go, you know, go to, go to Burger King, get the cheeseburgers and get back here so we can fly home. So he goes off to Burger King, comes back, picks me up. And you know how it works. You know, you're in the back seat and the driver's up front and there was a lieutenant up in the front seat and he's watching me in the rear view mirror, you know, making eye contact, watching me. That. So I grab my bag, take out the first cheeseburger, unwrap it. And oh man, it smells so good. And I haven't had lunch today. So it's sounding really good to me right now too. But yeah, so I unwrap it and I bite into it and it was nasty. And, and I, I mean, it was just tasted horrible. So I, I look at it, I take the top off. And there's nothing on that cheeseburger but a piece of meat and a piece of cheese. So I start looking at him in the rearview mirror, and he's looking at me. And, and you know, and leadership's an art and a science. Right, so I was doing a little bit of the art, and and you can see he's getting—he's visibly concerned that I'm not happy. And you know how our drivers are—they're trying to please the boss. You know, he's oh my gosh. So so I set it aside. I take the second cheeseburger. I unwrap it. I take the top off and look at it before I bite into it. Same thing piece of meat and a piece of cheese. I said, Sergeant Marshall, there's absolutely nothing on these cheeseburgers, but a piece of meat and a piece of cheese. He says, ma'am, I asked you three times. Are you sure that's all you wanted was two plain cheeseburgers? So it was one of those moments where like you're a colonel and he, at that time he was a specialist and, and you go like, he is so right, but I want to be right. Right? Like, I mean, I can't let him, I, I, I'm the colonel. So, um, so I'm thinking, how can I, how can I explain this where I am right? So I said, Sergeant Marshall, I said, you were going to Burger King, dude. So all I meant was, you know, I don't want, I don't want a king, a queen, a junior, a whopper. I don't want all that rabbit food, but I wanted condiments, man. I wanted at least ketchup and mustard. And so then he's still looking really serious. And I said, look, at, at, you know what, Sergeant Marshall, you gave me what I asked for. So he starts to smile. And I said, but it isn't what I want. And so what I tell people is, it, it, are you, are you getting what you asked for? Or are you, are you getting what you want? And, and, and when that happens and you're getting actually what you asked for, but it is not what you wanted, are you blaming them or blaming yourself? And so I said to him, I said, you know, you're absolutely right. And so what I, I also like to explain to people is, you as a leader, you're creating that environment. So number one, we created an environment where he could challenge me respectfully. Ma'am, I asked you twice. Now, let me tell you what, um, Jacqueline, I worked for a lot of bosses that there's no way that I could say to them, hey, sir, I asked you twice. They'd be like, you know, hit the road, Halstead. So you also have to know who your boss is in order to be able to challenge respectfully. But he knew he could do that because he knew the kind of leader that I was. And 
right? So, so that's number one, you create that environment on whether or not they can challenge you or they can ask questions, uh, make sure they understood something correctly. Um, and then by admitting that you're wrong, you really build respect and loyalty between you. If, if I had not admitted that I was wrong, he, he wouldn't even want to drive another mile for me, right? Like, oh my gosh, you, know, you cannot please her, right? You could just hear the dialogue if I had just crushed him. And um, so five years later, he called me. I was in Germany. He was in Italy. He had just gotten back from Afghanistan. He says, hey, ma'am, I understand you need a driver again. I want to come be your driver. And he would never call to come be my driver again if I'd crushed him on that day about something as simple as two cheeseburgers. But you and I both know people have been crushed for much less, right? Yes, Because, exactly. you know, right? They're, you know, I'm the boss. I'm right. How hard can it be to get two cheeseburgers? So, you know, a lot of people love this story because they can relate to it. I mean, first of all, just the, just the talking past each other, right? I mean, if you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, you know, husband, wife, partner, kids, you know, we do it all the time. There probably isn't a day that goes by that somebody doesn't have a cheeseburger story, right? <laughs> yes. So, so I think it helps because it's so relatable. It's my favorite story. It's other people's favorite stories. Now, just one little small note. So Sergeant Marshall, when I wrote the book, I called him and uh, he says, is the cheeseburger story in the book? Because he was still a non-commissioned officer and he was doing NCOPD and all that. And he always used the cheeseburger story with his NCOs and I always used it with my officers, right? I said, yes, it's in the book. He goes, how many times did you say that I asked you? I said, two. Uh-uh, I asked you three times, General. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll correct it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, I think that is such a great story, especially for our junior officers that are listening. If they're ever in a scenario with a higher grade officer and kind of going through the same things of communication, um, even the, the skill of how am I going to handle a situation delicately with, with, the, with my words. So I think that's great. So our next question is, uh, what books would you recommend for a junior officer getting ready to go to their first operational command? Yeah. Um, well, you know, first of all, the Army has its whole reading list, right? So, you know, some of the ones I would say are repeated on the Army list. You know, the, chief, the current chief staff of the Army is my classmate and just a, a wonderful leader. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I, I've always agreed with the list the Army puts out, some really great books. Um, on my website, I list all my favorite books. So just to make it easy for the listeners, they want to go to my website. It's easy. It's my name, BeckyHalsted.com. But for me personally, when I think about that question, I would tell you that um, Smith wrote a great book called Taking Charge. I don't even know if you can still get that book in publication, but I, I had two copies. I had one for home, one in the office, and it is marked up left and right, yellow writing. And it's called Taking Charge. Uh, James McDonough, a platoon leader, I think is excellent. Um, and then there's a, a retired gentleman by the name of Newman who wrote Follow Me, one, two, and three. And I think this got great leadership principles and anecdotes in there. Um, and I think it's uh, Nye that wrote uh, The Challenge of Command. And even though lieutenants aren't commanding yet, lieutenants are having to lead incredible missions. And to me, they're in command. You know, they could be called, you know, command platoon leaders. You know, they, they are in command of a convoy, command of an operation, command of a mission. 
and 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 all and when you're a lieutenant you're preparing for company command so if you think about the fact that you're always preparing for one promotion up and two jobs out one promotion up two jobs out they need to start reading challenge of command now because it is such an honor you know to lead as a commander and then uh, probably the art the art of a leader art of the leader by cohen so they, they those are the ones that stick out in my mind for you know, for lieutenants and young captains. I was going to say, I was going to wonder if you were going to recommend your own book to uh, junior officers. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, sure. We should, I, well, you know, I, I, it's a good book, I think, because it is, it is, it's simple, it's basic, but if you're a senior officer, like a lot, I get a lot of CEOs who say, number one, I wish I would have read that book 20 years ago. Number two, I'm glad I read it because it kind of reminded me of things that I stopped doing for some reason, right? So I think it's good for uh, top leaders and strategic leaders, but it's also good for, I mean, I give it to high school students going into college, college students going into the workplace, because really the leadership principles in so many ways are very basic. The problem with leadership is people stop doing it. So you got to dust it off and go back and, and, and refresh refresh your yourself with what's important. So, but thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the plug. I think it's a very good book for, I think it should be mandatory reading at West Point. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. Well, you know, it is, it is in a couple of colleges now, you know, there's a, um, I've got a Harvard business case study that's in, in several universities in their leadership program. And so the book is kind of making its way into some school systems. So, you know, I, the way I feel about it, if it helps, great, get it and help yourself. You know, uh, it's not, for me, it's not a money-making thing. I mean, it is, I self-published on Amazon, so you can imagine how little comes right back, but the benefit that comes back to me is not, you know, 20 cents on a dollar. It is the fact that you might be 20% better as a leader. That's more important to me, right? right? I think for me, um, leadership principle 26, you know, investing in other people and your relationships, that proved so crucial to me when I was, you know, I was a company commander at West Great. Point and, you know, building those relationships early on and solidifying that and how we communicated together and that trust. I think that was really crucial. So I took that from the book. Well, think about, think about this, Jacqueline, you know, um, you and I have a virtual relationship, right? Like you probably feel like you really know me because you read my book and ever in your emails, you know, I'd be like, Oh, I like, you know, I, so immediately I'm going, Oh, well, I can relate because we're both West Point grads. And now you've read my book and we, and we share these, we share this kind of commonality as leaders. And so that in, in and of itself is a relationship. And I, I couldn't agree with you more relationships. A human dimension is just so important. Yeah. I think um, going off of that point, how did your leadership and ethical philosophy develop? I, I I can't really, I can't really say that I thought that that developed. I mean, I was very fortunate, right? I, I grew up in a very disciplined family with values. So when I think of ethics, I think of values, right? That, that I live my life by. And I don't see how those, those values for me have not changed that much since I was a kid. The only thing that's happened is they become stronger, right? Like they, you know, I, I, I believe in them even more and I try to practice them even more, but the actual values have not changed that much. It's just the discipline in following them has changed, you know? So in terms of my leadership philosophy or my life philosophy, 
you know, I never even wrote a, a leader philosophy till I was a lieutenant colonel in battalion command. Um, that was the first time I wrote one. And I don't know when the army started doing that, but that's when I did it myself. And then I required it after that of my company commanders and my battalion commanders and my brigade commanders. So the rest of my career, I required people to sit down and take the time to reflect on their own, their own philosophy of leading and try to put it into words, one page, two page, what values are most important to them? Because that is a, a living document of how they plan on leading. And I would hand it to you, right? So that in my handshake with you that you could see, hey, this is what you can hold me accountable for. This is what you can expect from me. And if you're not getting what I tell you in that leadership philosophy, then shame on me. I've written something that's just in my head. I'm not living it. So I think how it's maybe solidified or changed over time is I love reading everybody else's philosophy, right? Like I, 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 I would love to have the conversation with you of, Hey, Jacqueline, what are your, your personal top five values? Not the armies, not any corporation you work for, but your top five values. And then what are mine? And you know, what's your purpose in life? And to me, that's what changes is what are your top five? I still have probably the same list I'm operating off of, but you know, when I was in the military, grace was not one of my top five. It just wasn't, you know, but now it is because now my world is different than it was in the military. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, I, it's just taken, that value has taken a higher place on my list than it did when I was in the military. And that that's probably what has changed or developed over time and just become stronger. So, but it's, I think, and I think it should change a little bit in that regard, because if it's not, if it's not becoming stronger, you're not feeling more convicted, then you're probably not paying attention to it, which means to me, you're not growing. Mm -hmm. In terms of your experiences, I mean, they are vast in 27 years in the army. Um, can you tell me uh, an anecdote about a failure that you had and how you learned through that failure? and possibly became a better individual because of it? Well, I have lots of failures. So, you know, it's always hard to pick one. I think I might've written down a failure that I thought you would find interesting. So, you know, fail, failures come in, in so many different ways, right? Like, did I fail to make, did I make a wrong decision or do the wrong action? Or did I, did I maybe made no decision and took no action? So when I was thinking about that, and like I said, I thought of so many. So and they're at different times in your life. So a, a failure that I did as a young lieutenant or a cadet, I mean, that probably wouldn't even entered my mind as a, you know, I mean, as a, as a senior person. But so one of the failures that I did think about, because I think it had a long-term impact on me was as a cadet, I went to airborne school and, and I wasn't the best student in the world, you know, 2-0 and go. Uh, but do you still, did you still have that when you were there 2-0 and go? Uh, yes, okay. we do right. still have that. I just want to make sure. So, so I was 2-0 and go. I mean, I, I did what I needed to to get the grades that I needed to, you know. The, the, the favorite joke was uh, that my tactical officer said to me, you know, if you would work just a little bit harder, you know, and you could, you could maybe raise some of those grades just a little bit higher if you worked a little harder. And I said to him, 
I didn't think that a 279 was that bad on a 3-0 scale. And he says, it isn't on a 3-0 scale, but we're on a 4-0 scale. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, so, you know, I think humor is real important. But, you know, in the summer programs, right, at West Point, uh, we do the physical uh, programs mostly, right? Airborne school, aerosol school, uh, you know, go back out to Buckner or whatever. And so I really wanted to go to airborne school and, and I got to go. And there probably wasn't a person there that thought I would not make airborne school because I might not have done that great in the classroom, but I'm a, I'm a go-getter, right? Even though I'm five foot one and a half, you know, give me an obstacle. I'm going to get over it. And I was a runner and I'm pretty strong for my size. And so I don't think anybody to include myself thought airborne school was going to be a problem. And then what happened is I went to airborne school. And at that time in 1979, I think it was, uh, they were still separating the men from the women for physical training. And so the women, you know, uh, but that didn't go over too well with anybody. We didn't want to be separated and the men didn't like it. Cause I figured it was easier for us. And, you know, but anyhow, our instructors were still men. So in airborne school, you've got, you know, your two weeks and then you do your jumps, ground week, tower week, jump out of an airplane. So during ground week, number one, I was in the very last class for the summer. So going into it, we all knew none of us can fail. Like none of us can do a week over. We can't repeat because we don't have enough time left in the summer. And so um, the, the ground week is when you do all your PLFs, um, parachute landing falls, front, left, right, rear, you know, all those. So, and then you do a lot of running in the morning. Now with the runs, if you fall out of two runs in the first week, you get recycled. Now I was a runner, so that was no big deal for me. But what they did, these black hats, black caps or whatever they call them, uh, the instructors, they would run us in that accordion effect, right? So we're supposed to be doing eight or nine minute miles and they would run us seven minute miles and then 10, right? So the average would be about where we should be. But when they would take off on that seven minute run, there's a whole lot of women that can't run a seven minute mile, right? I mean, I didn't, I probably my fastest mile is about a 615. So we lost all these women on the second day. And the guy comes through and says, hey, anybody, any of you that fell out today, if you fall out, you know, you're going to have to go do, do the, do be recycled. Well, so we had a big meeting in the barracks and said, what are we going to do? Because we know none of us can be recycled. We don't have time. So I put my hand up in the air and I said, look, I'm a runner. And I know, I know what a nine minute pace is, an eight minute pace is, a seven minute pace. Put me in the corner of the formation. Take my pace. And we'll do it. So that's what they did. They took my pace. And um, lo and behold, nobody fell out. We get to Friday. We're doing good. Until we get the very last event on Friday was the final PLFs off the little towers. And or it's called a pit. So we're inside the pit. And I've, I've, been, I've been passed for all my PLFs by the sergeant in charge of my lane. But then the sergeant in charge of the pit would come over and say, nope, that one wasn't good enough. Do it again. And so he kept me in that pit for an hour, hour and a half, all by myself. Everybody else outside picking weeds, picking up cigarette butts. Um, and he kept failing me. I mean, I've, I, mean I, I, don't, I couldn't even tell you how many times I, I uh, went off that tower. But I, so I, then I realized, okay, he was the guy in charge of the run and he was not happy with me, right? for being that point person and helping everybody do what they needed to do. 
So, um, I, okay, this is a game. And when we get to the end of it, I, I, so I'll just play along. I'll just keep doing what he wants me to do. When we get to the end, he's going to pass me because he knows we can't be, you know, we can't do, do the week over. Um, and I will have learned, don't challenge the system. And, you know, we'll all be happy. Kumbaya. So the bell rings, 3.30 Friday afternoon, and I'm still in the pit. So he tells, comes out and tells me to go report to the black hat in the white, little white house, little white admin building. Um, I need to get recycled. I, I said, I can't be recycled. We don't have enough time. Well, then I guess you're going to get thrown out. And I got thrown out of airborne school. So, I mean, that was a pretty good failure, right? So, I mean, I'm at that point now, I'm like, just, I'm like fire engine red. I'm, 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 I'm spitting anger. I'm, I'm just beside myself. And within an hour, I was out processed, out of airborne school, out of Fort Benning and, you know, headed home. But what happened in the part of the out processing, and I, I don't to this day remember if it was a company commander, or I don't remember who the individual was, but they asked me, did I think I was being discriminated against? And I said, no. Now I really do believe that I knew that I was right. Like he's going to, he's going to prove a lesson to me, but I was so mad that I wanted nothing to do with airborne school. Like if you said to me that you'd give me my wings right then I'd tell you, and I won't wear them. Right. So I had such an attitude. So what I, what the, the reason why I feel like that's a failure is number one, I got kicked out of school went back to West Point and was embarrassed. Right. I mean, I go back, I don't have my wings. All my buddies have, have wings. How do I even explain it? And the other thing is I didn't have enough courage to go. Yeah, you're right. I got discriminated again. Let, let me tell you my story. Because if you think about it, this is not the first time that happened. Right. And so I wasn't fixing a problem. If I maybe stopped and said, yeah, here's what happened. Somebody would have caught on to the fact that this non-commissioned officer has been getting away with this for a while. Because he can, right? Because he's in charge and he can squish you. And so I I taught me a huge valuable lesson because later in my military career, anytime my gut told me, yeah, there's something going on here, I never let it go again. I always addressed it uh, because I often wonder how many people after me got treated the same way and I didn't stop, stop it, right? So... So yeah, it's, there's a lot of failure in there. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just interesting to me because you posed it as a failure, but over time you you seem to have learned the lesson of this is not going to happen again. So right. in a way, that failure is is more of a triumph than it is a failure in my in my point of view. I think. Well, and I think that is with most failure. Like you know, most people will tell you that they have their greatest period of growth in their life when they're going through their hardest challenges, be it cancer, a hard boss, combat. You know, when I think about my year in Iraq, my year in Iraq was equivalent to probably five years in peacetime army, right? In terms of what I learned and the relationships and, you know, the growth, the personal growth. So I think there is a tendency that, and John Maxwell calls it failing forward, right? Mm. So how do you take that point of failure and, and not, you know, like cry over it? I mean, you know, I stopped being angry, um, you know, and I, you know, and I, I'm proud of every, every one of my soldiers that ever went to airborne school, but 
I, and I went on to go to air assault school and, you know, yeah, pound my chest. I got a badge, you know? Um, but it kept, you know, because I wasn't airborne when I became a general initially, I was supposed to go to first Coscom down at Fort Bragg to the 82nd, like for 24 hours. That's when they told me I was going to make general. My four-star boss says, Hey, what do you think about going to Fort Bragg, going to first Coscom? I'm like, yeah, because I've always wanted to go to Bragg. And I thought, and I even thought, okay, now I finally get to go to airborne school, even though I'm an old lady, because old ladies and old men do it. And um, and then my boss the next day came in and said, no, nah, it's not going to happen. And I was like, I already researched the whole command. I went home last night. How many, how many, you know, all over the world, all their missions. I said, why not? And he says, well, you're not part of the 82nd. You know, you haven't been at Fort Bragg ever in your career. And so the army doesn't want to send you there. And I kind of felt like at that, that point, just for a little while, I was like, that airborne school is haunting me, right? Like that failure is haunting me. But then I ended up being the third COSCOM commander a year later. And again, to your point, success came out of that because when I, the interim job between that one year while I was waiting was the DCG of 21st Theater Support Command, where they had the greatest movement of logistics in, in Europe since World War II, and I got to be part of running it. And what I realized was I wasn't ready for COSCOM Command. I needed another year of experience as a leader in the logistics arena to be ready for, uh, to be ready for Iraq. And so sometimes we want to, we want to try to get ahead and we want to push ourselves and when we're not really ready. And sometimes we have to really trust the system, trust our leaders um, to help us with the best journey, the best path. So it all worked out again. It was, I thought it was my failure haunting me, but in reality, it all worked out beautifully. And I think my, one of my last questions here, was there a particular experience that's, made you see a need for steadfast leadership, your company? Well, I don't know if there was, um, you know, a direct need for steadfast leadership as much as it is very clear to me that there's a great need for leadership training in the corporate world, in the political world. I mean, if you think about it, our, our soldiers, our squad leaders get more leadership training than a congressman, than most congressmen or senators. Now that is a thought. So I, I just recognize that it was leader develop, leadership development training in the military that helped me to become the person that I am today. All that reading, all that training, all that certification. Um, that's, that's how I grew as a leader. And there are not enough companies and there are not enough, there's just not enough people doing it. So I, I, that's the need that I saw. And I just decided I probably could best do it from my little, from my little corner of here's my experiences. And if they help you to be a better leader, well, then your team's going to be the beneficiary or your family. So that's, that's how I decided that there is, there's a demand out there and you just got to start figuring out how to create it. And, um, and, and eventually you do. I mean, I, I'm way busier than I ever thought I would be 10 years into this. And I don't like to say no, but I have to say no to some people. I mean, look how many times we try to schedule this, right? We're all over the map on the calendar, right? But um, 
So there's a demand and there's many more of people like me that can help meet that demand because of our military experience. That's so true. Um, so our DOD Reads audience is mid-career, Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, Marine Corps officers. Is there anything you would like to tell them as we close? Well, yeah, number one, never stop. Never stop learning, right? Like to me, I tell people lifetime, lifelong learning is the only way to go. The day you stop learning is the day you stop living. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I buy things just to challenge myself, right? Like I have a drone. I am going to teach myself how to fly that drone. Right. Um, and so you, so you just got to keep, you know, using your brain to learn new things. And of course the way we do most of that is through reading and, um, or watching other people. And so, yeah, never stop learning. Keep doing these sorts of things. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today and for chatting uh, with us about what you're reading. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. It was, uh, you know, I love, I love your focus. And so thanks for what you're doing for all your listeners, because I didn't have anything like that when I was in the military. So I'm glad you're doing it. I salute you. Thanks for listening to this episode of What Are You Reading? A podcast produced through partnership with DOD Reads. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share it. Leave us a comment with your answer to the question, what are you reading? Also, visit dodreads.com for free books, book reviews, interviews with your favorite authors, and many more free professional development resources. See you next week.